We the people. We the people. We the people of the United States. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. The ratification of the conventions of nine states shall be sufficient for the establishment of this Constitution between the states so ratifying the same. Done in convention by the unanimous consent of the states present the 17th day of September in the year of our Lord 1787 and of the independence of the United States of America the 12th, in witness whereof we have hereunto subscribed our names. Article 7 of the United States Constitution, followed by the signatures of the various folks who were there on September 17, 1787. The shortest and in some ways the most important article of the United States Constitution. It's Afternoons Live with Dave and John. It's Constitution Thursday, a time we set aside to read the words of the United States Constitution, talk about why they were written the way they were what they meant then, how they've been interpreted subsequently to that, and even how they affect your life today. You want to join the show today? Text machine is open, 565-DAVE, 565-3283. Email remains Show at clearchannel.com. And you can, of course, check us out on the web at kfiv1360.com, where all of the Constitution Thursday podcasts are available. So if you want to get caught up, you can do that there as well. Eloqui conizio, stand up. Tell those who oppose liberty, don't tread on me. By the way, we're over 25 hours now. Just for this year, John. So you can actually spend an entire day listening to nothing but Constitution Thursday if you wanted to. I wouldn't recommend you do that. Because it, it's kind of like um, it's kind of like uh, Arrested Development. You don't want to take it all. You, you want to take it in pieces. You don't want to take the whole thing in one spelt, uh, one sitting. I guess it would be a bit too much. So the year was the uh, was eighteen twenty ish when a lawsuit was filed over a piece of land in Kentucky. John, of course, the owner of the land was uh, upset about something that had gone snaky with the deal. And you know, you know how land deals can be. There, there's always something to argue about at some point, and this whole thing ended up in court. Problem was that the Northwest Ordinance, which divided all that land and allowed for the sale of that land and uh, the subsequent missales of that land that, uh, that created this little scenario, was passed by the Congress of the United States in 1788, prior to the ratification of the Constitution. But not until the mid-early 18-teens, 1820s, did this piece of land become in dispute somehow or another. Okay. So the law that allowed this land to be sold passed before the Constitution. So it was presumably, and, and, and was presumably written over by the Constitution, I'm guessing. 
If the Constitution did not provide for that law, here's the new law of the land, doesn't include that. So now under the new Constitution, you would not have been able to sell it. Well, that's kind of the argument, isn't it? Okay. Does the Constitution take precedence over things that happened before it was enforced or not? Before it was ratified by nine of the states present on this day. Which is a very interesting way of wording that phrase, by the way. Because of the 13 colonies in the United States at that time, 13 states, sorry, we weren't colonies at that point, 13 states present, one just flat out didn't show up, i.e., <laughs> Who else? Petulant Rhode Island. Said, We're not going. No. We, we know you people we are trying to... We shan't attend. You're just trying to screw us over, so we're not going to go, was basically their attitude. Uh, and New York... And then York, they got the smallest state. Look how that turned out. Well, that was already the case anyway. It was a joke. Sometimes you have to explain it to me. <laughs> New York had actually already left. They'd already said, all right, we're done. We're out of here. See you later. So of the 13 states, really only 11 had any presence there on the 17th day of September 1787. And then two of them didn't ratify? Well, eventually all the states would ratify. Right. But there was a lot of concern. If nine states ratify this, we have a country. But what happens to those states that don't? Where where do they go? How? Are they independent countries now? Are we kicking them out of the union that we said was perpetual under the Articles of but Confederation? But the belief from the beginning was that everyone was going to eventually have to go along with it, though, right? The theory was that eventually, that, and, and the purpose of all this. And that it was important enough to convince these other states that may not have wanted to, right? The idea of union was so important and so imperative that there was willingness to compromise on issues that were secondary to union. Union first, then address, because you can't address all these other issues without that. Now, there are those, right. and we've said this on numerous occasions. That it's kind of like, let's just agree to be a country, and then we'll figure the then rest we'll of it out. Then we'll get the rest of it in yeah. there. There were arguments, to, there are still arguments to this day from people who talk about, well, the Constitution was flawed because it didn't do this, it didn't solve this, that's the problem, didn't do this. It couldn't have. If it had tried to do all those things, hell, try to solve social problems today, what do you get? Girl. <laughs> in 1787, had they tried to solve all the social problems of the world? And, well, at least the United States. Let's say we try to solve slavery. We try to solve uh, suffrage. We try to solve everything you can possibly you know, name in there. We would not have had a country. We would have had 13 independent states, followed quickly by a rebellion because Congress had passed... In 1778, or 1788, had passed the Northwest Ordinance, making new states out there, you know, Kentucky, Tennessee, all these new, Ohio's coming along the way, all these new places that all of a sudden were kind of like, well, wait a minute, we're part of this too, right? And of course, uh, Vermont was getting ready, would have revolted at that point. They would have said, no, we're, we're our own little entity and world now. So there was a lot of concern about that. I asked the question last weekend. I called it What If Weekend because I really didn't feel like posting a whole lot. So I just asked the question, what if today, if you took the Constitution today, as amended today, so in other words, throw out all the stuff that's been overridden or and, and just say, okay, we write the document from start to finish, this is what it is, with the Bill of Rights, oh, with all, all of the, all the amendments, everything implemented is implemented into right. the thing. And all the stuff that nobody likes or that got changed, taken out, which is, by the way, when the Congress reads the con Constitution, remember when they put on this little dog and pony show at the start of Congress? That's how they read it. They take out the parts that have been 
overridden, which I completely disagree with. But, hell, I'm not in charge of the Republicans in Congress, and I guess they get to do whatever they want to do. Anyway, I, I postulated that question. Could that Constitution, that Constitution as it stands today, the one that we have, could that get ratified by three by by the states today, do you think? You know... I think that I, I I I thought about that question a lot, and I would and I didn't wind up answering it because I felt that my <laughs> my answer would probably be in not not really conducive to what you were kind of getting at. But my thought was that sort of the the question itself kind of isn't really fair because the states today aren't facing anywhere near the same sorts of challenges as the states at that time. You know what I mean? So it was like. So the, so the revolution was very fresh in everybody's minds. I mean, it was, you know, m- many of the people who were voting on this had fought in that war. You know what I mean? And, or, and everybody knew someone who did. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I, I don't, I, it, it probably wouldn't pass today as is, but All right, so we're talking about a very, very different America. Right. So let's say that they wanted basically 70% of the states. To, uh, to to ratify the Constitution. Uh-huh. That means we'd have to have 35 states today ratify it. I think it would be darn close. Keep in mind that uh, that's about what it takes to pass an amendment to, two-thirds, okay. 34. And we, we've had amendments, the Equal Rights Amendment, that did not pass. Got, I believe, into the 30s, but not to the to that magic 34 number. Um, I, I, I think it would pass ratification from that muster if you take that same standard, that 70% standard. But what would be the effect on the states that didn't? Right. What would they do? Let's say California says, you know, we want to continue to be totally crazy. Well, not even that. I mean, what if they just say, well, we don't like this constitution and we're gonna we're not gonna ratify that. Right. For whatever reason. Right. What? So then, yeah. So is California then not part of the United States? Are you it's sort of its own separate country, like on the West Bank or something? Yeah. You know. And, it, and it's a valid question because they never really addressed that question in 1787. They never really said, well, what happens if? They took a much different approach, which was union or death. Either, yeah. we're, either we're together or we're dead. And I don't, that's, if I had to look at the country today and say, what is the biggest difference between the United States of 2013 and the United States of 1788? To me, that is the biggest difference is that many of these states, I won't name names, California, Texas, North Dakota, actually do believe that they they'd do whatever be, they they'd be, they'd be better on, they could they could do it on their own. Yeah. That they didn't there's there's no longer a sense of union in this country. Now, it's an intriguing argument, particularly coming from a conservative talk radio show because most conservative talk radio shows are 10th amendment oriented. In other words, states rights before anything and everything else. And I continue to tell you that that is a misreading of history. It is a misapplication of both the Ninth and Tenth Amendments, and it completely ignores exactly what the framers said in the Federalist Papers and so forth and so on. Yes, we all do not want a federal government, and the states were supposed to keep tabs on a federal government from running roughshod over individual rights within the states. But they never intended for the states to be able to tell the federal government to, to, to F off and they were just going to do whatever they wanted to do. That was never the intention. And we, I, I still go back to this episode. The the 10th Amendment leads to Shea's Rebellion. That's what it does. 
And we all sat here stunned when the idea that, that the state of Massachusetts was going to hang a man for, for speaking his political mind. But that's what happens when you take the Tenth Amendment to its logical, well, its, its traditional extremism, which is that the states, rats, are paramount and above and beyond all else. That is completely outside of what the framers wanted, which was union, above and beyond all else. If they, if they did not get the Constitution ratified, if they did not get a federal government in place, there was going to be no United States of America. And while today the world is different, all right, if we dissolve the union today, I imagine that you'd probably have four or five fairly reasonably sized, reasonably economically powerful countries come out of this. Yeah, like country chunks. In 1788, that wasn't the case. And in 1788, none of those states was powerful enough to defend itself against even the most minor of European powers. Right. Who, by the way, would love to have come over. Spain already had a foothold. Britain and France had footholds on the continent. You had France to the southwest in Louisiana. You had Britain up north in Canada. You had Spain in Florida. You had well, the Dutch, I guess they were still out there, that Portuguese, the Italians. It, Russia was on our west coast, Alaska. There was not this guarantee at that point that we were going to be surviving. And as much as we kid today about the idea of, <laughs> thank God we're not French, um, in 1788, it was not clear to anyone at that particular point that that wasn't going to be the result of this. There's no, there's very little pressure here. There's very little argument that uh, of an alternative. There's very little discussion of the alternative of what would happen if. What if New York doesn't ratify? In point of fact, it almost becomes a gigantic marketing campaign and a gigantic patriotic campaign of unionism above and beyond all else. And yes, there is legitimate discussion about this, and, and thank God for that, because the Federalist Papers, which really define the Constitution, it's, it's the Talmud to the Torah, it's the, it's the description of what these things actually mean, written for the people of New York who are debating this. All right, New York, here's, here's why we think you should do this. The Anti-Federalists write theirs. And the people of the state of New York are really the focal point of all of this because they're the ones who just they're not they're not sold on this yet. And yet, if you think about it in the terms of why they needed a strong central government, New York is probably the state that benefits the most from a strong federal government able to control international trade, negotiations with foreign countries, the biggest port in the country at that time, New York and Philadelphia, maybe Boston, but but those two port cities are right there. Philadelphia, technically, and Pennsylvania, but you got to go right by New York to get there. It's it, it benefits them as as a state. Certainly, New England, you ha, you could you could argue benefits most from having a strong federal government. That is why there are so many concessions to the idea of getting the South into the Union. Slavery, in particular, three fifths compromise, the representation, because they know that they need that strong government. The South knows that they need it, too, because they're agrarian, they're, they're generating materials, they're trading, they're, they want to, that international trade as well. The Western frontiers aren't necessarily looking at this going, eh, this is a great idea, but they like the idea of union. And it is this concept of union that I think we've lost more than anything else. Unity, 
union, one nation. The idea that we need each other. That we have to have each other. That we can't do it without each other. Right. And in point of fact, not only is that generally the... That's why we were named what we are. In Congress, 1776, July 4, 1776, the United States of America. Could have just been the United Colony. Could have been the colonies, the states. But it's not. It's the United States. We stand together. E pluribus unum. Out of many, one. It is such a strong... Strong concept that years later, Andrew Jackson will be in the middle of an argument about whether or not the federal government should do this, whether some states should leave some others. And he will look at his vice president, John C. Calhoun, who is very much an ardent secessionist, a southerner from South Carolina, who will make a toast. The vice president will make a toast indicating that states' rights must always be respected. And President Jackson will stand and raise his glass, and in the voice that President Jackson, which probably made John Fusenda sound like a wimp, say his, raise his glass and say, the Union, it must be preserved. And contemporary accounts will report that John C. Calhoun, no coward himself, was shaking with fear at the idea that Jackson was now opposed to him. Jackson also a Southerner. The idea of Union, that we had to be together, is the entire purpose of the Constitution. And indeed, later on, in 1860, 1861, if you pay close attention to the writings, and particularly the music, most particularly of the Union side, you will find numerous references to the idea that it's the Union that must be preserved. It's the unity that must be saved. Lincoln himself will say, this war is to save the Union. He doesn't call it the country. He doesn't call it the Constitution. He says it's to save the Union. Because, just like the framers, he believes that if the Union can be maintained, you can work out all the other problems within the framework that's been established. We've lost anything. I think that's what it is. We no longer really have that sense of, I'm a Californian, but I'm also a United Statesian, American. I'm an Oklahoman, but I'm an American. We've become so... I'm not sure what the word is, John. We don't, we don't sense that union anymore. I'm not sure where we lost it. Not sure when it went away. But there's no element here of unity. There's no celebration of that concept that we are one country. And... If you don't believe me, just go to any Independence Day celebration and see what's been Listen to the words that are said. Listen to the, the, the ideas that go on around there. You very rarely will hear anything about unity or union. United. Except in the most trivial of senses. I'm way over time. It's quarter after 20 after 565, five, Dave. Stay with us back after this. Welcome back. Afternoons live. Dave and John. It's Constitution Thursday. Looking at Article 7, United States Constitution, the ratification thereof. It went really long in that last segment, so just a moment here to kind of reset the stage. John, I don't do this very often, but when we get back, we're going to do this. Two days before the end of the Constitutional Convention, just before the final vote, three delegates 
objected to the new Constitution. Edmund Randolph of Virginia thought the Constitution was not sufficiently Republican, moved that there should be another convention to address that. Let's, let's fix that part of it. George Mason of Virginia seconded that motion, arguing that without significant changes to the new government, it would end up either being a monarchy or a tyrannical aristocracy. Mm. Could make the <laughs> argument that uh, he was right. Eldridge Jerry of gerrymandering fame of Massachusetts feared that the powers of Congress were in fact too broad, and he wanted that pulled back. Two questions were put to a vote. Eleven states president, Rhode Island is, had not sent a delegation, and New York had already left, all voted against the second convention. So now we're done. And then all favor, voted in favor of the final text of the Constitution. It was then ordered to be formally written, which they use a great word here called engrossed. I just love. All right. It was engrossed to be formally written down in preparation for endorsement. And on the morning of September 17th, they gathered for the final reading of the document. And after they had read it, Benjamin Franklin, the oldest man there, who certainly gave his life and fortune and and everything you could name for freedom and for independence, handed his speech to a younger man to read for him. It's not a long speech, and I don't really, really, very often, I don't like to read whole stuff, but when we get back, you're going to hear the words of Benjamin Franklin. As he says to people, you need to vote for this. Stay with us back after. Welcome back. Afternoons Live. Dave and John, Constitution Thursday. Article 7 of the United States Constitution, the ratification process. So, John, we have now read through the entire engrossed Constitution. Because we haven't even gotten to the amendments yet. Right. I love that one. That's a word I'm going to work into. I'm going to work that into conversations from here on out, aren't I? Yeah. Engrossed. Following the reading of the engrossed Constitution, Dr. Franklin, who, remember, was in, um, they didn't have wheelchairs, but he was gout-ridden, he was old, he was 79, which is old even today, but back then was beyond ancient. Really old. He could barely speak anymore. He rose out of his chair with a speech in his hand. He had reduced it to writing for his own conveniency. And then he handed it to Mr. Wilson to read to the convention. So they have just finished reading the, the entirety of it. And then you get these words from Dr. Franklin. I confess that there are several parts to this Constitution which I do not at present approve. But I am not sure I shall never approve them. For having lived long, I have experienced many instances of being obliged by better information or fuller consideration to change opinions, even on important subjects, which I once thought right, but found to be otherwise. It is therefore that the older I grow, the more apt I am to doubt my own judgment and to pay more respect to the judgment of others. Most men, indeed, as well as most sects in religion, think themselves in possession of all truth, and that wherever others differ from them, it is so far error. Steele A Protestant in dedication tells the Pope that the only difference between our churches in their opinions of the certainty of their doctrines is the Church of Rome is infallible, 
and the Church of England is never in the wrong. But though many private persons think almost as highly of their own infallibility as that of their sect, few express it so naturally as a certain French lady who in a dispute with his sister said, quote, I don't know how it happened, sister, but I meet with nobody but myself that's always in the right. In these sentiments, sir, I agree to this Constitution with all its faults, if they are such, because I think a general government necessary for us. And there is no form of government but what may be a blessing to the people if well-administered, and believe further that this is likely to be a well-administered for a course of years, and can only end in despotism, as other forms have done before it, when the people shall become so corrupted as to need despotic government being incapable of any other. I doubt, too, whether any other convention we can obtain may be able to make better a better constitution. For when you assemble a number of men to have the advantage of their joint wisdom, you inevitably assemble with those men all their prejudices, their passions, their errors of opinion, their local interests, and their selfish views. From such an assembly, can a perfect production be expected? It astonishes me, therefore, sir, to find this system approaching so near to perfection as it does. And I think it will astonish our enemies, who are waiting with confidence to hear that our councils are confounded like those of the builders of Babel, and that our states are on the point of separation, only to meet hereafter for the purpose of cutting one another's throats. Thus, I consent, sir, to this Constitution, because I expect no better, and because I am not sure that it is not the best. The opinions I have had of its errors I sacrifice to the public good. I have never whispered a syllable of them abroad. Within these walls they were born, and here they shall die. If every one of us, in returning to our constituents, were to report the objections he has to it and endeavor to gain partisans in support of them, we might prevent its being generally received and thereby lose all the salutary effects and great advantages resulting naturally in our favor among foreign nations as well as among ourselves from our real or apparent unanimity. Unanimity. Much of the strength and efficiency of any government in procuring and securing happiness to the people depends upon opinion, on the general opinion of the goodness of government, as well as the wisdom and integrity of its governors. I hope, therefore, for our own sakes, as a part of the people, and for the sake of posterity, we shall act heartily and unanimously in recommending this Constitution, if approved by Congress and confirmed by the conventions, wherever our influence may extend, and turn our future thoughts and endeavors to the means of having it well administered. On the whole, sir, I cannot help expressing a wish that every member of the convention who may still have objections to it would with me on this occasion doubt a little of his own infallibility and to make manifest our, un our union put his name to this instrument. Then moved that it be signed by all of the folks there and presented as it was. The idea of union ran so deep that Ben Franklin made it. 
I, I read that for the first time this week. I, John, I'm 50 years old almost. That's a, this week was the first time I'd ever read his entire speech there. It's, it's not long. Yeah, I mean, I, I've never seen it before either. Most people haven't. The idea I hate so much is this ridiculous idea that is put on by people time and time again. Uneducated, illiterate people who do not understand but talk about how the Constitution was written by a bunch of go-away guys who were just trying to protect themselves. Ask them to their face if they have ever read the words of Ben Franklin. I guarantee you they have not. The Constitution wasn't written to be perfect. It was written to provide for unity. And every element, every person, every ideology, every intention to divide is unconstitutional, period. And I don't care which side it comes from. Union must be preserved. All of the other problems can be solved. Look at the things that we have done as a nation. Look at the leadership we have given the world in ways. And in ways when we couldn't figure out a way to solve it that we knew was right, we were willing to sacrifice hundreds of thousands of our own citizens to make it right, to preserve the union so that then we could pass amendments to the Constitution in the proper and meaningful way to make those changes that should have been made. Women have the vote. 18-year-olds have the vote. Former slaves have the vote in citizenship. No other country has managed to do it in quite that way. Some, the slavery is still legal in some parts of the world. Only these things can be accomplished by union. There was never any question as to whether or not all 13 states would eventually ratify the Constitution because there could not be any discussion about what would happen if it didn't. It was union or die. Ben Franklin's famous cartoon, you've seen it, of the snake divided up in half and it says join or die and it has the, the various colonies written. You know when that was written? You know, that, you know when he drew that cartoon? It wasn't for the American Revolution. It was actually for the French and Indian War. He was trying to get the colonies to understand even then that they had to unite. And even today, we say we're Americans. But do we act like it? Do we put the union of the country ahead of every other consideration? Or do we find states that are trying to do things that are divisive, forcing other states to go along with them because they think they can get away with it? Is that the proper way? Is that the way the framers meant for it to happen? Changes can be made. That's the beauty of all this. That's why I get so angry with the Republican Party when they put on this dog and pony show of reading the Constitution at the start of Congress because they cut out the parts that have been changed. No. You need to leave those in because it demonstrates the fact that by authentic and explicit action of the American people, as George Washington said,
We take those imperfections that Ben Franklin might have objected to but never shared publicly. He didn't go out and leak to the Philadelphia Inquirer that, well, you know, I'm going to vote for it, but there's still problems with it. Blah, blah. No. He walked out of that building with a smile on his face and said, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. Union or die. That's what the Constitution is. It's afternoon's lives quarter till five six five. Dave's the text machine. Stay with us. Back after. Undermine me and backstab me, but I can see clearly now the rain is gone, the pain is gone, but what you did was still wrong. There was a few times I needed your support, but you tried to play me like an indoor sport, like racquetball, tennis, pool, whatever. All I know is that you attempted to be clever. Nevertheless, cleverness can impress. Welcome back. Afternoons Live, KFIV, KWSX, iHeartRadio, Constitution Thursday episode of the big show. Text machine open, 565 Dave. So a couple of closing thoughts here, John. In the case of Owings versus Speed, the case that went to the Supreme Court uh, dealing with the land track, the Supreme Court actually looked at this very carefully. And they determined that it is impossible for two governments to exist at the same time. And so, the prohibition in the Constitution that the federal law shall not uh, interfere with state jurisdictions did not apply to that law. And so they affirmed the judgments that were given and said, no, you're okay. There can't be two governments at once. And the, the constitutional government did not go into effect when nine states ratified the Constitution. It did not, in fact, go into effect until March 2nd of 1789, when all of the states had ratified it and reported it to Congress as ratified, and Congress said, sure, thus it is so. It is um, an interesting way of dating the Constitution. It's dated the 17th day of September in the year of our Lord, 1787. That's a, uh, it's, it's a phrase that is, most of us are familiar with, but had really gone out of use in, in common writing at that point. It really wasn't used as commonly as you might think that it was. And indeed, is really never used again in the official documentation of the, of the United States. But added to that is uh, the 17th day of our year of our Lord and of the independence of the United States of America, the 12th year. Just, the 12th, but the, the 12th, meaning the 12th year of our independence. They wanted to make sure that they marked those dates. Right. They marked those at year 237 of our independence. Not our, com- not, not our government, but of our freedom, of our independence. It is fascinating to me to watch all of this stuff happen, to understand, as we have finally come to understand, what the Constitution was done for, why it was there, why it was needed, and Yes, it didn't solve all of the social ills. It wasn't meant to. It was meant to unite us together as one nation that could then go forward and solve all of those things using our manifest destiny, a phrase that wouldn't come along till later, 
to accomplish all the things that those men knew we could do as long as we, the people, were willing to do what it took. Until we weren't, in which case we would get the despotic government that we deserve. It should make our representatives ask themselves questions. It should make us sit up and go, when we come to a point where we have to argue about whether or not something is right, wrong, or even doable, what if we change the question anymore? This is legal, this is right, wrong. Change that question. Does this preserve the union? Does the NSA spying on its citizens, our citizens, does that help preserve the union? Or does it divide us? Does the Affordable Care Act preserve the union? Or does it divide us? Does taking action in Syria preserve the union? Or does it divide us? I submit to you that if it divides the union, it is unconstitutional. Period. Because the purpose of the Constitution is union. First and foremost, even at the end of the day. Article 7 of the Constitution. We've got to talk a little bit next week, John, about the ratification process that it went through. Constitution Day comes up on the 17th. Okay. And then we're into amendments. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, we start with the First Amendment, which we all yeah. love. That'll be meaty. Religion, freedom of speech. There's a lot of good stuff in one amendment. The freedom to say your boss looks insane. Yeah. And get away with it. We talked about that earlier. <laughs> about did. how, yeah, Dennis, Dennis looks like something of a murderer Psycho sometimes. Psycho That's what he looks like sometimes. So all of those things come into play. And all of those things will around the corner as Constitution Thursday doesn't end just because we get through Article 7. Well, that wraps up Constitution Thursday. Coming up next, you got NFL football, the Baltimore Ravens at the Denver Broncos right here on KFIV and KWSX. Tomorrow, we got the fun with news, John. Do we have a top five? We never did decide on one, did we? Uh, no, but we got a bunch of really great right. suggestions. We'll go so through I think, tonight. yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll go through this we'll night. Let you know. Post it on the uh, fan page. So pay attention there and seem to work out before, right? Uh, lastly, John, our deepest condolences to police chief, uh, Turlock police chief, Rich, uh, Rob Jackson. The loss of his son this week. Oh, that's terrible. A, uh, in a car accident. Just, uh, just a reminder, folks. Take that time right now and tell the people that matter in your life you love them. You'd miss them when they weren't there if they aren't there. So don't pass up those opportunities. You'd want to have that regret. I'm Dave. That's John. Have a wonderful evening, everybody. And we will see you tomorrow for a Friday fun episode of Afternoons Live right here on KFIV, 1360 AM Modesto, KWSX, 1280 AM Stockton. Of course, everywhere via iHeartRadio on your computer, your tablet, your smartphone, which even 50-year-olds like me have. And stay tuned for the climactic debut of the NFL on KFIV 1360 and KWSX 1280 AM. So jazzed for that. Yeah. Go Broncos. And it's Broncos tonight, right? It is. Yay! Really excited. See everybody tomorrow. Have a great evening, everybody.
Afternoons Live is a slippery fish entertainment production for Clear Channel Media and Entertainment Modesto.